welcome. My name is Mason and this is Mace on Movies, episode 14 of my journey through Ghibli, which brings us to Howl's Moving Castle, uh, which was released in 2004, directed by Miyazaki Hayao, and uh, was based on the novel by Diana Wynne-Jones, which was also titled Howl's Moving Castle. And the Japanese title of this film is Howl no Ugoku Shiro, which uh, is actually... Uh, for once, a direct translation uh, of, of, uh, of the English, or rather the English is a direct translation uh, of the Japanese for this film. So uh, both in English and Japanese, the title is Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, so uh, this film, uh, like I said, came out in 2004, uh, and it was created by Miyazaki Hayao in kind of a response to the 2003 uh, Iraq War uh, that was uh, carried out by the U.S. And, you know, Miyazaki Hayao identifies as a pacifist and is very much uh, anti-war. And so he wanted to create a film that basically conveyed uh, war is bad. And he, he actually said that he intentionally created a film that he felt American audiences would dislike. Um, and I thought that was very interesting uh, that he, you know, was so kind of uh, unsettled by the war that was occurring that he felt compelled to uh, create this film that is definitely very much anti-war. And every image in this film that is related to war is dark and ugly um, and really repulsive. And so I think you can see just through the visual, just through the imagery of this film, uh, you can understand uh, that stance. And this film does follow... Uh, mainly, it follows the character of Sophie Hatter, uh, who is voiced by Chieko Baisho. Um, and then the English dub uh, is voiced by Emily Mortimer, the young version. And the old version is voiced by Gene Simmons. Because in this film, uh, as, it, as it begins, we see that Sophie uh, is cursed by a witch who is looking for Howl. Uh, and kind of goes through her and transforms her into an old woman. Uh, and then in an effort to kind of remove her curse, uh, Sophie seeks out Hal, who's known as a wizard uh, who travels around in his moving castle. This is a world where witches and wizards are known of. Uh, they're actually in this world employed uh, by the military forces of different kingdoms to try and wage war uh, against the other kingdom. Uh, so yeah, this is a world where magic is, is out in the open. People know about them. People are somewhat afraid of them and their power. Um, but Sophie feels that her best chance to remove her curse uh, is to seek out Howl. Uh, and then she gets carried up into his adventure as he is. There are two different kingdoms that are warring with each other, and both of them are attempting to recruit Howl uh, under two of his different aliases. Uh, and instead of joining either side, he's actually in his own time attempting to um, sabotage both sides. So he's not really, he's not taking a side, but he's trying to end the conflict altogether, which does come back to that, uh, that message of kind of being anti-war, trying to end the conflict. And so, yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, this film did still end up being successful in America, uh, but I think it definitely at the time would have challenged American audiences for sure. Um, and it definitely like not from the anti-war side, but I think that this movie challenged me just in the way that it was constructed, uh, which is that, you know, 
the narrative of this film, you know, we, we clearly kind of established in the beginning uh, what the sides are. We established that Sophie has been cursed by this witch. Uh, she's going to seek out Hal. Hal is being recruited by both sides. Um, and so we kind of understand all of that. But as we get deeper into the conflict and deeper into the magic, I found that the narrative kind of starts to wander a little bit all over the place. And some of the magic... Uh, and some of the war explanations are a little bit vague. And so we're not really sure, other than wanting Sophie to be free from her curse, you know, Hal is not the most likable character. Um, and then this witch of the waste, or Arechi no Majo, um, you know, she is presented as a villain, um, but then things kind of happen later on uh, that brings kind of that into question. And then we meet yet another uh, magic user, um, Suleiman uh, or Sariman, uh, who's, you know, basically she has taken a side in the conflict um, and she does have some conflict with Howl uh, in either trying to recruit him or eliminate him. And so all of the sides are kind of vaguely defined. And I guess what we really want throughout this film is A, for the curse to be lifted, and B, for the conflict to end, and ultimately C, for Howl to survive all of this, because he takes the form of this kind of monstrous bird creature in order to um, sabotage the conflict that's occurring. But the more he transforms into this creature, the closer he comes to losing himself and no longer being able to become human. But... He's kind of a moody, kind of unlikable character. So even though I think the movie wants us to want him to survive, I didn't really enjoy his presence in the film so much. Um, I thought that The Witch of the Waste uh, was entertaining, um, but a, a little bit uh, unsettling. You know, she is a witch, which so that makes sense. I thought that the character of Calcifer, who is kind of a fire demon of sorts who kind of powers the moving castle. I thought that he was really entertaining. Um, I thought that Markle was very entertaining, uh, who's this boy who disguises himself as kind of like a old bearded um, wizard's assistant. Uh, so I thought that he was a lot of fun. I thought that Sophie was really enjoyable. Um, but, you know, there were moments in the film, I guess, where it was, um, it was just hard to understand everything that was happening. And maybe on watching it a second time, things would become a little bit more clearer, but I found myself spending most of the time just trying to figure out what was happening um, and you know how all of the magic was working. Because usually, I'll use Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings for an example, usually the magic um, or the kind of the sorcery in those worlds is clearly defined. And we have two kind of clearly defined sides of good and evil, we kind of understand how the magic works, whether it's via spells um, or things like that. Um, and so I found that in this film, we never really knew uh, the source of the magic or how powerful it was, um, or even if something good or bad was happening. Uh, I just felt that there was a lot of confusion in regards to the use of magic. And I thought that, you know, and this is something that's consistent across Miyazaki's films is there's not a lot of exposition. Um, you're kind of like on this journey with the characters and kind of figuring it out as you go along. And these films don't really take much time to explain themselves, which 
usually is not a problem because by the time it gets to you know the main conflict of the film, you understand all sides and you understand what you want to happen. But this is more of a morally gray film. Like there's not, uh, other than Sophie, there's not really a clear person to root for in terms of the overall conflict between these two kingdoms. And I guess that was part of Miyazaki's goal is like the whole point is that we don't want there to be conflict. So it's not like we want one kingdom to win and one kingdom to lose. He's kind of pointing out, you know, that conflict in itself is, is pointless. And even at, you know, towards the, uh, to spoil, I guess, spoiler warning, towards the end of the film, uh, we get this like, okay, the conflict has ended, but now this kingdom's going to go to war with another kingdom. And it's like the conflict just repeats itself. Um, and it just kind of points out the ridiculousness of war, that there's always going to be another fight. There's always going to be another conflict. There's always going to be another thing that people want that they have to fight to get. And it's just a cycle that feeds itself. And this film also does present, you know, when we get to Solomon, um, you know, presents this person as just wanting to fight uh, because they enjoy the conflict. They enjoy meddling. They enjoy the power. Um, and they're just doing it out of like a sadistic um, enjoyment of violence. Um, and I think that that really, you know, again, Miyazaki kind of pointing his finger at, at, in this instance, pointing his finger at America getting involved in Iraq and saying like, what are you doing getting involved in this conflict, like establishing your, your will on this other country? Um, do you just enjoy the violence? I think is, is a question that Miyazaki was asking America uh, through this film. And so you know, in that, in some senses, it can be a very uncomfortable film to watch when you know that history going into it. Um, but Miyazaki has never shied away from being very strongly anti-war, um, pro, you know, environmentalism, naturalism. Um, all of those themes are very clear. And I felt like this one, you know, as I walked away from it, I was like, I guess, you know, what this film wanted me to take was war is bad, I guess. And that was like my takeaway. And then I went and did some research into the film and that's exactly what the takeaway was. I was like, oh, I guess they're, you know, I was looking for other themes uh, within the film um, in regards to the characters like Sophie um, and her journey. And I guess as I was doing my research, you know, Miyazaki talks about kind of the freedom of old age. And a lot of times elderly characters are not well represented across film and especially across animation. Usually they're like the old witch um, and things like that. So and in society, like sometimes elder people can be kind of cast aside or disregarded. And so Miyazaki kind of wanted to tell a story where, where old age was viewed in a positive light. Like this woman is, still has her energy. She's still powerful. She's still helpful. Um, she has a good heart. Um, and she, she is selfless. Um, and I think that, you know, to, he felt that it was kind of a bold choice to center this, even though we know that it's a young girl on the inside, the film really spends most of its time with an elderly character um, at the heart of it. And so, you know, Miyazaki was worried about that. He's like, I don't know how this film is going to re be received in general, having the audience need to support an elderly character um, throughout the film. So it definitely has some interesting things within it. But like I said, I spent so much time just trying to understand what was going on that I didn't feel like I enjoyed this film as much as I've enjoyed other works from Miyazaki. And this film, you know, looking into the reviews, it did still have, like, overall, uh, it was positive. Like, it was something like, 
uh, 80% on, on Metacritic or 80 out of 100 on Metacritic. Um, and then it was in the 80s uh, on Rotten Tomatoes as well, which I know is not a perfect system. Rotten Tomatoes can be a very flawed system. Uh, but it just goes to show about 80% of critics viewed the film favorably. But there were critics uh, like myself who felt that, not that I'm really a critic, but they, they shared my opinion that the film did tend to kind of meander um, and so the details become less charming overall because you're just trying to figure out what exactly is going on. So a lot of people said things like opaque plotting um, and things like that. So uh, some other people point out the fact that a lot of times we were moping with Sophie while Howl is out in the action. And I guess Miyazaki didn't really want to have this be an action-heavy movie because the point of the film is anti-action, anti-war. And so uh, I think if it focused too much on the action, um, even though it does effectively show the horrors of war, um, I think he didn't want to center this on Howell. He wanted to center this on Sophie being the, being the, being the pacifist, being the one who just has a heart to help others, not necessarily to fight others. So, yeah, I, like I said, you know, it was a little bit more difficult for me to get through. And by the time I got to the end of it, I do have to mention, as with all of these films, the imagery is gorgeous. Like, you know, the, the, the moving castle is a fantastic design. It goes back to, you know, Miyazaki's talent and his passion for aviation, for flight. Uh, and you see that with the moving castle. Um, and you see that with various things throughout the film. He has such an eye for that design, like it's such an like as soon as the film opens and you see the moving castle, it's an instantly iconic design, and you can't deny that. You can't deny the power, the impact of that imagery. Like it just immediately sears itself into your memory. Um, and and throughout the film, you know, with the war, like it is conveyed as a horrifying prospect, but the starkness of like the fire against the black clouds and smoke is just very striking imagery. Um, and contrasted with this beautiful moment in the film as they're walking through these beautiful fields of flowers and lakes. And then, you know, the aircraft come in with their, you know, polluting the air around them, just that black smoke coming out from their engines and things like that it just shows that war is ugly. Um, and it's horrible. Um, and so you really get that through the design. And so, again, as with Princess Mononoke and Naushka, like all of these films, Miyazaki does a great job of conveying the ugliness of war and the ugliness of pollution. And in every scene that you see, whether it's tanks um, or trains or uh, military aircraft, all of them have this putrid black smoke coming out of them. They cloud your view. Uh, they ruin the environment around them. Uh, and so you just get, you get a perfect impression of the ugliness of the pollution and the war and the terror and all of those things. So I have to credit his ability to do that. I just felt that the storytelling was not clear enough to keep me fully engaged throughout the film. Um, and I guess I can compare this to Princess Mononoke, which is another film where the conflict was not clear-cut, you kind of wanted to root for everybody. Like, you wanted um, the Iron Town to be protected, but you also wanted the forest to be protected. Um, and so you, you, you were kind of trapped within this conflict 
between San and Ashitake and them kind of being at odds, but also being on the same page. Like um, Miyazaki tells complex stories where it's not black and white, good and evil. And I think that that is so contrary to most uh, mainstream American films because American films generally want to give the audience a side to root for in the conflict. And Miyazaki intentionally does not give you a clear side to root for in some of his films like this um, and Princess Mononoke. So, you know, I can appreciate it, but it does make for a challenging viewing experience. And I guess that's what I walked away with. I was challenged by viewing it. And I think that that was Miyazaki's intention. His intention was to challenge American audience. He said he intentionally wanted to make something American audiences would not like. And I think that this was this came out a few years after 9-11, a year after, you know, the main, the beginning of that Iraq war. Um, and so, you know, he timed it to be anti-war um, and to really get under the skin of American audiences. And removed from that time period, it doesn't get under my skin because I also think war is stupid and horrible. So that wasn't my issue with the film. Uh, it was just that, Within the overall conflict, there was so much happening that wasn't well explained that it was kind of just a muddled journey overall. Um, so those are my overall thoughts on the film. Like I said, beautiful design as always, wonderful music as always, uh, memorable characters. The one thing I will say is that when Miyazaki, when these Ghibli films animate older, like, and by older I mean adult, like, 30 to 40 year old Western faces, there's something weird. And I guess it maybe it has to do with the eyeshadow and the makeup that you don't really see as much with the Japanese characters, especially if they're younger, you have kind of the plain face and something about the design of the Western faces in this film is just really off off putting um, in that town. And so I sometimes I had a hard like it's just one thing that clashes with the overall beauty of the rest of the film. Um, so that was my one thing. I mentioned it previously in, in um, I think I mentioned it when I was talking about Porco Rosso, because that takes place in kind of a European setting. And again, you have these, you know, 30 to 40 year old uh, Western women and just the, the design of the face. I don't know what it is, but it, it just feels discordant with the overall animation. So that's one thing that also kind of pulled me out a little bit. But I think Overall, I can't fault the overall animation of this film because it's amazing. And Miyazaki actually said in 2013 that up until that point, uh, this movie has been uh, his favorite creation, um, saying he also said that he wanted to convey the message that, wife, that life is worth living, um, and that hasn't changed. In the nine years between when it came out and when he did this interview, uh, he said that he wanted to convey that life is worth living. And, and I think we see that through the film that, you know, um, you know, um, the character is Sophie is fighting for her own survival, but she's fighting for the survival of everyone around her. She's fighting for the survival of the witch. She's fighting for the survival of Calcifer. She's fighting for the survival of Howl. Like she's really like she's she's very she's pro pro like pro life for lack of a better term 
uh, which makes her a great protagonist. And like I said, I fully support her throughout the journey of the film. She is the likable, easy-to-support character. I just thought that everything around her was a little bit muddled. So uh, before I wrap up this, my thoughts on this film, I do want to mention the rest of the voice cast. Uh, I did mention that Sophie was voiced by Chieko Baisho uh, for the Japanese version and Emily Mortimer and Gene Simmons for the young and old version uh, of Sophie in the English dub. Howl was voiced by Takuya Kimura and the English version is actually Christian Bale, which is pretty cool. Um, the Witch of the Waste, or Arechi no Majo, uh, was voiced by Akihiro Miwa, and uh, the English was Lauren, ba- Lauren Bacall, and Calcifer was voiced by Tatsuya Gashuin, and Billy Crystal did him in the English version, so this is another film where I'd really like to hear the English version, because it sounds like it's got a really interesting cast. Uh, then Markle was voiced by Ryunosuke uh, Kamiki, and uh, the English was uh, Joss Josh Hutcherson, and then we get to Soliman, uh, or Sariman, uh, was voiced by Haruku Kato, and Blythe Danner in the English version, and that kind of rounds out the main uh, voice cast uh, for this film. But we do also get um, Dee Bradley Baker in here doing a small uncredited role. Uh, That was the other name. Jenna Malone is in here as Letty. Uh, who's also voiced by Yayoi Kazuki uh, in the Japanese version. So uh, that, that's the main voice cast. I uh, just wanted to mention them before wrapping it up. And again, again, directed by Miyazaki Hayao and uh, featuring, uh, based on that story, by Diana Wynne-Jones, which was Howl's Moving Castle. So that's going to give, uh, that's going to be the conclusion to my thoughts on this film. Like I said, overall... Uh, just a bit muddled for me, kind of hard to enjoy, although I appreciate the themes and I appreciate the animation. Um, so those are my thoughts. I would love to hear yours if you've seen it, if you've got a different take, uh, if it was easier for you to understand or you feel just as confused as me, uh, you can let me know on Twitter and Instagram at Mason Movies. Uh, if you've been enjoying this episode, you can check out the rest of the series. Uh, you could also check out the other stuff on the podcast feed doing a lot of different reviews and series on there as well. And uh, if you could like, uh, subscribe, rate, leave a comment, share it with your friends and family, that would all be amazing. But thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope that wherever you are, you are doing well physically and mentally. And I hope that we'll all remember uh, to treat each other with kindness. Thanks, everybody.